Sarah Streming, and this is Cop Dog Radio, a place where I will share my stories, cases, and considerations when it comes to all things dog sports and dog training. I hope you enjoy it. Coming at you guys from the road. I'm actually doing my kind of epic fall road trip right now. Um, total trip is going to be from Washington State to Tennessee for Sinosport. But right now I'm driving across Wyoming. Not a whole lot to do when you're driving across Wyoming. Otherwise, um, other than, you know, maybe record a podcast and like the true nerd that I am, I'm sitting here in my car by myself thinking about what makes for truly effective behavior change in our dogs because I just finished up the Living and Learning with Animals course from Dr. Susan Friedman. Uh, Anybody can take that course. It's for professionals that work with animals, but anybody who is more interested in effective behavior change can take it. Um, It's offered once a year. Her website is behaviorworks.org. And I am in no way getting a kickback for anything. I just really want to promote the course. I think it's wonderful. I've wanted to take it for a long time. Um, and finally kind of put the put the funds towards it this year. And I'm really glad that I did. So just wrapped it up. And what really strikes you as you're listening to Dr. Susan Friedman talk about behavior change is that she doesn't talk about behavior change as ever being difficult or impossible. Um, she actually talks about it as being, as being doable, as being a surmountable kind of situation as, you know, when you look at an animal in your care and they've got a behavior that's problematic, she says, you know, there's actually a system for modifying that behavior. And if we understand the system and we understand the science, we can, we can do that. And I don't think she's claiming that it's a piece of cake, um, or that it's easy, but I do think she's saying, you know, if we all understood the science a little bit better, we might be more successful with behavior change. And when I talk to dog trainers, I sometimes do hear them, you know, feel frustrated and feel like they've got a behavior problem in front of them that can't be solved. And I've certainly felt like that before. I've certainly typically in my own dogs, um, looked at a behavior, known what it was going to take to modify it, and just really felt like it was hopeless. Like there was no way I was going to put in all of that work and that I may as well just manage and live with this behavior. So since I'm guilty of that with my own dogs and I'm a complete training junkie and nerd, I'm sure that people who spend less time thinking about training than I do feel that on a more regular basis. And so I'm actually going to do a three-part series on behavior change, on effective behavior change. And this one that I'm recording on the road today is going to be about what characteristics make up the most effective replacement behavior. So an effective route of behavior change is to replace the current behavior with something else. Simply eradicating behavior, simply getting rid of a behavior without offering a replacement will not be sustainable. Um, You can punish out or suppress a behavior, any behavior, 
but the likelihood of resurgence of that behavior is going to be very high if you haven't effectively replaced it with something else. So it's kind of like, let's say you like football and, um, I don't, I don't care for football. I don't understand it. And, but you like it. So if you like to watch football, do I get to just say to you, you don't get to watch football anymore and try to punish out football watching? So if I try to just get rid of that behavior because it bothers me, but I don't replace it with something else, is that going to be effective? I think the football fans right now that are listening are laughing and they're saying, yeah, right. I just never speak to you again. Um, but if, you know, if football really truly bothered me, I could provide you with a different outlet for football watching, or I could provide you with a different area where you could watch football. Um, so I could redirect kind of your, your football watching and I would need to understand what football, what, what function football is serving for you. Um, I would need to understand why you're watching it. So, and that, and that kind of leads to one of the most important pieces of an effective replacement behavior, which is that it needs to lead the animal to the same consequence that the current problematic behavior is leading them to. So to put that in a little bit more simpler terms, um, if a dog is barking at the mailman out the window, we can pretty much assume, because this happens every single time, that the consequence that is reinforcing that barking behavior is that the mailman leaves. So he approaches the house, he puts mail in the box, and then he walks away. Um, so he approaches the house, that's the antecedent, and the behavior is the dog barks. And then the consequence is that the mailman walks away. And we can assume that the mailman leaving is the consequence for, uh, that's reinforcing the behavior. So if we wanna replace that barking behavior with something else, we need it to lead to the same consequence. So we need the dog to experience that same reinforcement that they're after because not doing that is ignoring the fact that, and this is a fact, you guys, it's not, an assumption, it's not a theory, the fact that behavior serves a biological function. And the biological function of behavior um, can, can be seen when you watch animals behave. So the biological function is to obtain reinforcement and the reinforcement is what varies, but behavior always has a function. So if I reach into a nesting box and a hen is sitting on an egg in there, and she pecks at or bites at my hand, and then my hand retreats, the function of her aggression towards me is me to leave her alone. It's me to remove my hand. So if I want her to do something else, I need that other, I need that replacement behavior that I provide her with to also lead to me removing my hand from the nesting box. So anytime you wanna replace the behavior, you wanna think, you know, what, what consequence is serving this behavior? What function um, does this behavior serve for my dog? And understand that you're always guessing. You can never know for sure until you test. Um, it's always, Susan Friedman, again, in the course, was always saying, you know, it's always a hypothesis. Um, and then you go forth and kind of test that hypothesis and figure it out. And you test it by trying to apply the behavior change. So just kind of tweaking the elements, tweaking the, the consequence elements.
And so when you are picking a replacement behavior, it needs to serve the same function. So back to the dog that's barking at the mailman. If I ask the dog to go lie on a mat when he sees the mailman approach, this could be effective long-term because the mailman will still leave. So the dog will see that the mailman has left and the dog needs to be able to see that the mailman has left um, once, you, once he goes and lies on the mat or does something else. So you've got to have your replacement behavior serving the same function uh, that the problematic behavior is serving or it's not going to be as sustainable as you'd like it to be. So next little piece is, and this is something that I really found very eye-opening. It's not something I had thought a lot about, but it was discussed in the LLA course, um, is that it's best if your replacement behavior is already fluent. So I understood that from a standpoint of the behavior needs to be fluent, meaning the animal understands the behavior, understands how to do it. So if it's lie on a mat, the animal needs to understand how to lie on a mat. But the little piece that Dr. Friedman drove home for me was that it's best if it's already fluent when you show up. So let's say you show up to help change behavior. Um, it's best to not have to start by building a new behavior. It's best to just start with a behavior that's already fluent. So, and how cool is that? Because then you're not wasting a bunch of time. I think as dog trainers, a lot of times we're using up a lot of our clients' time and money trying to put behaviors in, trying to install behaviors, as Gene Donaldson always says, in our, in the dogs so that we can then use those behaviors. And now, of course, when you show up, let's say your client's dog only knows sit, but they know sit pretty well, great. Make sit the replacement behavior. That's fine. That'll work. They can sit and then the mailman will leave. Understand too that the behavior doesn't have to be totally incompatible with the, um, with the problematic behavior. So the problematic behavior is barking. Um, a lot of dogs can maintain a sit and continue to bark. But what you're going to see, which is really cool, is a decrease in barking anyway um, once that sit has actually been functionally reinforced in that scenario. So those are just a couple of things to think about when you're thinking about effective behavior changes. What can this animal already do? that is either incompatible or just alternative to the problematic behavior? And then how can I help my replacement behavior to serve the same function that the problematic behavior was serving? And I'm gonna give a couple of examples um, that I've utilized in my own work. So one is if you listen to the Prime episodes, um, Prime episodes one, two, and three, where I talk about my work with a border collie named Prime, one of his problematic behaviors in the home was that he was charging and biting at the uh, his housemates as they came up the stairs to go out the back door. And if we did a functional assessment of that behavior, we'd probably find out that um, the consequence was just that the dogs eventually got themselves out the door and were no longer in his face or in his space. He seemed to be, you know, probably bothered by the chaos of the group of dogs moving and being a very sensitive border collie. It's likely that that's probably true. The replacement behavior that we gave him, which was one that he was already fluent in, was to go grab a toy. 
tell him to go, go grab a toy as the dogs come upstairs. He'd go grab a toy. He'd shake that toy and beat that toy against himself. And then the dogs would be outside. And not only did that behavior serve the same function that we believe the original behavior was serving, um, it also, to me, and this is, this is more um, an inference, so not necessarily something we can prove or know, it also seems to me that it might make him feel the same way that doing the biting feels. So he might get the same kind of emotional satisfaction out of shaking and biting the toy that he gets out of um, darting in and biting the other dogs. We can't know that for sure. What we do know is that the darting in and biting has ceased because he understands to go grab his toy instead. So that's a really nice example of a successful uh, behavior change. Um, another example that I've actually lived a few times and also done uh, worked through with clients is if you have dogs that resource guard against other dogs in your house, um, maybe they resource guard you so they maybe bite or snarl at other dogs when they approach their special human or maybe spaces their bed um, a room the kitchen a bone whatever um, a, a bone is an item not a space but <laughs> you know what I mean so when a dog when a housemate approaches they kind of get nasty show some aggressive behavior understand that aggression is a distance seeking behavior aggression seeks distance Con the consequence that feeds aggression is distance from the trigger so we want to give we want to help the dog have a replacement behavior that serves that same function it's not about just deal with it it's not about like other dogs approaching you better it's about understanding that that behavior has a function and we can give the dog a different behavior that can serve the same function so what we need is a couple of things we need the other dogs in the household to have some behaviors I like all dogs to be trained to go to a mat or a dog bed on cue or a crate and then we need a fluent behavior that is um, incompatible with aggression for our resource garter. So in the case of Vigi, she used to do this against uh, my parents' pugs. So my parents' pugs would want to jump in my lap and Iggy finds that absolutely disgusting and unacceptable. She doesn't want to be in my lap herself personally, but um, a pug is certainly not authorized to be on my lap. So if a pug would jump on my lap, she could get a little bit ugly about it. Um, she never caused any harm. She was always um, mostly all talk. Otherwise, I would put a basket muzzle on her to work through this protocol. And if you're not sure if the dog's going to cause harm, which we can never really be sure. So to be safe, basket muzzles for everyone. I love basket muzzles. Um, so a pug would approach because that was our antecedent. The pug would be approaching. I would just ask her to sit. And sometimes she would still kind of give them a crusty look or maybe a curled lip and I didn't care. I just asked her to sit. And as soon as she would sit um, with my parents' pugs, they didn't really know anything. So I would just turn my back on the pugs and I would pet her and pay attention to her. And what started to happen was a pug would approach me and Iggy would sit. So she would ask me effectively to not pay attention to the pug. Um, and so I would just every time she did that I made sure to turn and pay attention to her and then certainly we can work on her accepting me petting the pugs in other ways but the first thing we have to do is replace that aggression with something that still helps her get the consequence she was seeking in the first place so that is 
Um, that's been really effective for me with all of my resource garters. I know shocking that I've had multiple um, having border collies, but asking them to do a behavior that they already know and then paying attention to them is a good one. In my current house, I've got one garter, um, and when he does that, I will ask him to do a nose target, um, or before he does it, really. So when the other dog approaches something that he might guard, I will ask him to do a nose target, and when he does, I ask the other dog to go to a bed or to go out of the room. And I work on the other dogs understanding those cues and those signals, and they also get cookies for that. And so now, what's you know what starts to happen is the dog says, I know what button to push to make the thing happen that I want. I want the dog to leave and the button that I push to make the dog leave is I do a sustained nose target. Um, you could also teach the dog to run to a kennel or run to a bed and that makes the other dog leave. Again, this is smarter, you guys, than just trying to make the dog feel better about it. That can be kind of your, you can definitely go two-pronged, you can definitely go the other route and also work on some classical conditioning and help, classical counter conditioning and help the other dog feel better. But recognizing that the behavior serves a purpose respecting that purpose and then providing the dog with an alternative route to access that is always going to be the smartest way to go and making sure that our animals have a plethora of highly reinforced behaviors under their belts in their repertoire always the smartest way to go right so continue constantly training your dogs you guys teach them to go lie on a mat teach them to kennel on cue teach i teach my dogs if i point at a thing and say hop they jump up on it it doesn't matter what it is i can ask them to hop on the kitchen table and they will um, they probably will gladly more than i would like them to um so that they understand how to station on anything. Station just meaning put yourself on that thing and stay there. So having this wide variety of highly reinforced behaviors helps you with that fluency of the replacement behavior piece. It helps you have just a bunch of behaviors to cherry pick from when you're trying to replace um, a problematic behavior. You will always be ahead if you've got a nice wide variety of behaviors to choose from. So understand what consequence the problem behavior is um, serving the dog so what function does it serve and then also understand uh, or I'm sorry also have your dog have tons of fluent behaviors so that you've got one that you can use right because sit's not going to work for everything because it's just it's not going to be incompatible or alternative enough to everything um, so make sure you guys that you post your comments or questions on the Cog Dog Radio Facebook page. And if you can't find it, um, make sure that you search all variations. We've had a couple issues with Facebook, so it's not all one word. I believe we're changing it to be a hyphen so that it's easier for everybody to find. So it should be Cog hyphens or dash dog radio. So Cog dash dog radio. Um, should be what you search for on Facebook or you can always find it um, via the Cognitive Canine Facebook page because I will be sharing the Cogdog Radio posts on there as well. Um, and don't forget to sign up for our newsletter by emailing my assistant at cogcanineinfo at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to CogDog Radio. If you've got questions or suggestions, you can shoot them over to CogDogRadio at gmail.com. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. See you next time.